You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis West in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at genesiscove.org. Enjoy the teaching. It's great to see you guys. Uh, my name is Scott Groff. Uh, I'm a member of the elder team here at uh, Genesis. And some of you got an email from us uh, later in the week this week. Did, could you show me your hands if you got an email from us? Oh, good. I'm glad. So that was an important email that we wrote. And it was also important to us that uh, we stood in front of you this morning and talked to you a little bit about what that was and uh, how you can be a part of that email. Um, so that's my job today. Uh, the crux of it is this. It's a little hard message to talk about. Um, but in the last 12 months or so, our attendance and our giving has trended downward a bit. And uh, we are on a budget calendar that starts in July. So when we started this year's budget three months ago, uh, we and the staff, specifically Steve Weens, took a hard look uh, at what we were seeing. And uh, we wanted to take the invitation to live out one of our values. We put that in the email, but I want to read it to you right now. That's the value of simplicity. We want to stay responsive to what's important, so we order our lives and our community in ways that leave margin and space, where we live within our limits, we are intentional and wise in our choices and our commitments. So when we think about that in terms of financial responsibility, we really wanted to take this opportunity and, and look at it as an invitation. So here are the numbers. Uh, our 2018-19 budget was around $412,000. And when we asked you around June to, to give us an idea of what you would be giving for your tithes and your offerings this year, you were very generous and you told us about $360,000. But what that meant was there was about a $50,000 gap in what we expected to spend versus what we expected you to give. So now we're three months in, and what we've seen is actually an increase in what you've given. So a huge thank you to those of you that are giving sacrificially uh, to the work of Genesis. But we also saw a slight uptick in what we spent. And what that means is uh, our cash on hand, which we like to keep around $50,000, and that's where we started the year, is down to around $30,000, and that's concerning for us, again, for that value of simplicity. So what the elder team has done is we've taken the month of October as a time of discernment. We're taking a really hard look at our priorities with Steve, with, uh, with Steve Weens. So we're examining our financial priorities. We want to make some decisions this month that really protect our financial as well as our church's organizational health. Uh, we want to focus on things like kids, the way we communicate with each other, and the pathways of entry for people that want to join our community. So that's what we're doing, and it's really important to us that you know that. Uh, and it's also very important to us that you join us. So I want to give you two ways that you can join us here this month as we uh, have these conversations as an elder team uh, with Steve. First and foremost, we really would ask you to pray. And I know that sounds uh, a little uh, easy for me to say in church, but I really do covet your prayers as you spend time uh, with the Father throughout these weeks, uh, because these are tough decisions in some cases that we need to make. 
but also we really want to talk to you. So uh, as an elder board member, uh, Becky Patton is in the room. She is part of our elder team. Uh, Laura Maloney and uh, Tom Nichols are not here today, uh, but all of our emails are available um, on that communication. And we just really uh, look forward to talking to you about this and answering your questions, and even hearing your feedback. So you can expect another update from us uh, toward the end of the month uh, as we take a look at that. But I just want to thank you for the chance to share that with you this morning. What a pleasure, what a blessing to be a part of this community. Thank you, everyone. I want to welcome Mary up to uh, read our scripture today. Our scripture reading today is Job 1, 1 and 2, 1 through 10. There was once a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. One day the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still persists in his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him for no reason. Then Satan answered the Lord, Skin for skin, all that people have they will give to save their lives. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well. He is in your power. Only save his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and inflicted loathsome sores on Job from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Job took a potsherd with which to scrape himself and sat among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as any foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. The word of the Lord. Ready? There we are. Good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Dan Cook, and I'm very much blessed to be a member here at Genesis. Um, and once in a while, I get the chance to get up here and talk, and that's a lot of fun for me too. So I thank you all for being here today. Um, first of all, I want to take a minute, and I think we should thank Scott Groff, because that couldn't have been easy to stand up in front of you all and deliver a hard truth. So Scott, thank you for delivering that with kindness and grace. Um, and it'd be lovely if we could come here every week and just talk about Jesus and worship Jesus and, and have that be the long and short of it, right? But that's not exactly how life works. There's hard stuff, there's truths, there's money, there's finances, there's things that we have to deal with. But we have a lot of smart and talented and capable people in this congregation. And I have nothing but faith that we'll figure out a way to get through this and keep going and everything's going to be okay. But I feel like there's a heaviness involved with stuff like that. So where Steve would normally at the end of a service everybody take a deep breath. I think we should have one right now. You with me? Everybody deep breath in and let it out. All right, we're good? All right, let's talk about Satan, <laughs> shall we? 
I, um, part of the reason I'm excited here today is because we're doing something that's a little bit different. Um, we don't generally do sermon series here at Genesis, and I don't know that there's an ethic against that per se, right? It's just something that hasn't organically happened. But we do follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and in the lectionary this month, each Sunday, the Old Testament passage is from the book of Job. So when I knew I was preaching this weekend, I immediately looked at the passages, and there's Job, and okay, I'm definitely going for that, because that's one of my favorite books in the Bible. But what I didn't know was I'm going to narrow cast on this particular passage, or was I going to broaden it out a little bit? So I went and talked to Steve, and I'm like, are you planning on doing something with Job later in the month, because I can adjust via that? So well, let me take a look. So he goes and looks at it, and yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to talk about Job too. And then it turns out, of course, now next week we have church vacation. So if you show up here at 1045, sorry, um, come at nine. I'm sure the Elam folks would love to have you. Uh, but the rest of us will be up at vacation. The week after that, Claire Wyatt is going to be talking. And so we talked with Claire as well, and Claire, yeah, yeah, I think I want to do something from Job too. So we're sort of doing a de facto series. It's the month of Job here in October, apparently. <laughs> Uh, and I don't know what they're talking about, and they don't really know what I'm talking about, so it's going to be kind of fun to see how this sort of organically comes about. So let's dive in, shall we? If you join me in a quick prayer. Lord, I thank you for this place, and I thank you for the people who make it what it is. I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Please send your spirit to wrap himself around us, hold us together, bind us, lift us up, and help us to know you better. And I pray all this in your, the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said... Amen, 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 amen. So you'll notice in the, uh, in the scripture reading today that there's a verse sort of hanging out by itself. Job 1.1 is there, and then we skip right to the second chapter. So why is Job 1.1 so important? So those of you who know me as well know that I'm in seminary right now. I'm in the Master's of Divinity program at Bethel. I just started my second year. But one of the very first classes they have you take is hermeneutics, which is the study of biblical interpretation. And the hermeneutics professor that I had, her big mantra was read the book, read the book, read the book. Which isn't just about reading the entire Bible, although it's nice to know the overall meta-narrative of the entire canon of Scripture. But it's if you're going to interpret a passage, you have to interpret it in the context of the entire book. So read through all of Job if you want to get a piece of Job. And I think one of the reasons that that verse is standing on its own at the front of this lection is because within that verse, it contains the keys to understanding the theme that runs throughout the entire book of Job. What do I mean by that? One of the things that you need to determine when you're looking at a text is the genre that you're talking about. There's all kinds of different genres in the Bible, right? There's poetry, there's ancient biography, there's apocalyptic literature, there's poetry, there are letters, there's all kinds of different stuff going on in there. So let's figure out what we're dealing with because there's certain ways in which each genre functions that tells us a lot about how the text works. So if you look at the first sentence, that first verse is two sentences. The first sentence says, There once was a man in the land of Uts whose name was Job. Now, if that sounds like once upon a time to you a little bit, it is. And it tells you something right away. If I come to you and I say, you know, once upon a time, what am I about to tell you? A story, a fairy tale specifically, right? If I come to you and say, wait for it, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, <laughs> what am I going to tell you? Star Wars story, right? So you know right away what I'm, what I'm dealing with just off of that first line. And more than that, there's implicit information that we all assume once we know what we're talking about. If I'm going to tell you, you know, once upon a time story, okay, there's probably a prince and a princess, or there's a knight in shining armor and a damsel in distress, and maybe there's a dragon, there's definitely going to be magic. If I come and I say a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, okay, we're going to have Jedi, we're going to have the forest, Darth Vader's going to show up and, you know, probably kill some people. 
There's going to be stormtroopers that can't hit the broadside of a barn with a blaster. <laughs> I might have watched those movies too many times. Um, but there's implicit information that we automatically assume right out of the gate. So when we read that first sentence, there once was a man from the land of Uts whose name was Job. Okay, we're dealing with a story. What kind of story are we dealing with? That's the second sentence. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. The theme of the book of Job, to a great degree, is how does humanity adjust or respond to their relationship with God in the face of evil? Because evil is a very real thing, and it's something we all have to contend with, right? So how do we deal with God when we know that there's bad stuff that has happened, is happening, and will happen in our lives? That's what we're getting at in the book of Job, and that's why I think that first verse is there to sort of set the table for us. So let's go to the second piece here, Job chapter 2, 1 through 10. Now, part of the reason they skipped to Job chapter 2 right away is because that first few verses of Job chapter 2 directly mirror chapter 1. I'll give you the thumbnail sketch of the story. God's having a conversation with some angels, and Satan shows up. Sounds like the start to a bad joke. It's not. Satan shows up. God asks Satan where he's been. Satan says, I've been rocking around the earth, going here, going there. And God immediately starts bragging up. Have you seen my guy, Job? My guy, Job, he gets it. He understands how this God-humanity relationship is supposed to work. He's a great guy. And Satan says, well, yeah, but you keep giving him all his good stuff. He's got money. He's got a good business. He's got a wonderful family. You should take some of that stuff away from him and then see if he worships you, because I'm willing to bet he won't. God says to Satan, you do your thing, but whatever you do, don't kill him. So Satan goes down and scatters Job's livestock, ruins his business, has a house collapse on his kids, kills most of his family. It's a bad day. But what is Job's response? You guys remember the phrase, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away? Yeah, that's Job chapter 1. Verse 21, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So all this bad stuff happens to Job, and his response is not to blame God. So is that the lesson we're supposed to get from this story? Hmm? Maybe. If you go to the second chapter now, the passage that we're dealing with, God's having another conversation with angels. Satan shows up again. God asks Satan, where have you been? I've been walking around the earth. And God says, hey, remember when you were going to mess with my guy Job and he was going to curse me? Well, look what happened. You took all his stuff away and he didn't curse me. Take that. And Satan says, well, okay, I mean, I took a bunch of his stuff away, but I didn't really get to do anything to him. Skin for skin is the line there. If I affect him personally, his, him bodily, if I go after his health, then you watch. Then he'll curse you. And God says the same thing. Okay, you do your thing, but whatever you do, don't kill him. So we get to verse 8, verse 7, actually, and it says, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and inflicted loathsome sores on Job from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Loathsome sores. Leprosy is what Satan gives to Job. And remember, in this period of time, leprosy is not just a physical disease, although it is physically very uncomfortable. In the next verse, it says he takes a potsherd. The NIV translates it as a broken piece of pottery with which to scrape his skin. Imagine being so uncomfortable in so much pain that the only way you can find relief is to take a broken piece of pottery and start scratching with it. That's not good. But it's not just the physical pain. It's not just the physical discomfort. Remember, leprosy is a spiritual disease as much as a physical disease at this time. So Job, who used to have a certain standing in his society, in his town, with, amongst his people, now is cast aside. 
because he's ceremonially unclean. They can't be around him or they're going to be unclean too. So that part where it talks about him sitting amongst the ashes, he's been cast to society's refuse heap, essentially. And at this point, his wife just sort of loses it, right? As I think a lot of people would. Remember, again, at this time, she's not able to support herself. But the guy who's supposed to be supporting her and her family lost his business, lost his standing in society. They both lost their children. And so she just says, throws up her arms and said, would you just curse God and die already? I mean, this is awful. But what is his response? He says, shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? And in this, Job didn't sin with his lips. So it's the same kind of ending where we're saying, whatever you do, just don't curse God. Is that the lesson? Is that what we're supposed to derive here? I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Remember, we talked about we're in a story here, right? And we as the audience get to be outside of that story and see everything that's going on. Job doesn't know who's afflicting him here. He has no idea that Satan's involved. We do. And that's where I think the nugget of the lesson is here, at least in these first couple of chapters. Anybody know what the Hebrew word for Satan is? Anyone? Satan. It's Satan. See? I paid a lot of money to go to seminary to figure out I already lose some Hebrew. That was kind of disappointing. I'm not going to lie to you. Does anybody know what the translation of Hasatan is? The accuser or the adversary? The accuser. I think that's a really interesting way to think of evil. I think labels have the ability to clarify. They have the ability to help us understand things, but they can also have a lot of baggage that come with them. And I think there's so much cartoonish imagery attached to Satan and to demons and to principalities and power. Leave it to Paul to come up with principalities and powers, by the way. Why use 40 words when 400 will do? <laughs> but I think there's so much imagery attached to those that it, it obscures what we're actually trying to talk about here. When we're talking about Satan, we're talking about the accuser, and the accuser is real. So let's do an all play. What does it feel like to be accused? Rightly or wrongly? Yeah. Yes, sad or hurtful. Absolutely. Anybody else? Shaming. Yes. Lonely. Defensive. Yep. Do you see the thread that's weaving through all of these reactions, right? The emotions that we get when we're being ashamed. It it makes us want to hide, right? Curl up and, and hide away. That's exactly the point. That's exactly what the accuser is trying to do. Now, I know when I you know, stand up here and say the accuser's real, it sounds like I want to go all Southern firebrand Baptist preacher and the devil's real and he's coming for you and you got to repent or you're going to die. But the thing is, that's exactly what I'm going to say. But I'm going to go Princess Bride on you here. I don't think those words mean what we've been led to believe that they mean. You like that? That was good, right? <laughs> They don't. I don't think they do. The accuser's real. I, do, I, have, I 100% believe that. How, why do I believe that? Because I bet every person in this room has heard that voice. Everyone. You know what I'm talking about. It's the voice that says you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not capable enough, you're not talented enough, you're not attractive enough. Why would anybody want to hear what you have to say? You're not worthy of being loved. Does anybody want to say they haven't heard that voice? Anyone? No? Of course except for Elijah. Actually, you know what? I love that. You stay right there. I'm going to come back to you in a minute. Because 
We all have. We, right? We've all heard that voice. I can tell you how it manifested for me just a few weeks ago. I had the chance to be up here playing with the band. And music is something I dearly, dearly love. I can connect with my soul more readily and more deeply through music than anything else. If it, whether it's me playing it, whether it's somebody else playing it, when it's right, when it's good, when you're in that groove, there's nothing like it. It's as natural a high as you can have. And so, unfortunately, I don't get to play with the band as much as I used to because I got school and I got life and I got stuff going on. And so I had to kind of be very careful about carving out time for certain things. And that sort of had to go to the side for a season. But I had a break in between classes, right? Summer classes were done. Fall classes hadn't started yet. So I emailed Steve and said, hey, you need a guitar player? I'm available. And Steve being Steve was like, yeah! And Steve being Steve, the week of, I get a text saying, uh, hey man, what songs can you sing? I didn't say anything about singing. But what I've learned in, throughout my life is that when I'm offered an opportunity like that at the last minute, that's the time to go ahead and do it. That's the time to just go ahead and take a leap. Because I don't have time to psych myself out of it. It's all right. Let's go. Let's do it. And we did, and it was fun, and it was great, and I enjoyed the heck out of it. And I was flying at the end of that service. I was so full of joy. And somebody came up to me afterwards and very, very kindly, boy, that was great. Boy, I really enjoyed what you guys were doing. I especially liked your guitar playing, which is awesome to hear because I don't have a ton of confidence in my ability with the guitar. I have even less confidence in my ability to sing, and that's where the voice knew to attack, and that's where the voice set up, uh, showed up. And when that person says, I especially liked your guitar playing, that voice shows up and says, well, I guess they didn't like your singing very much. Well, no, that's not what that person meant at all. But that voice knew exactly where my insecurity was and knew exactly how to stomp on it. And that feeling of flying, that joy that I had was gone. And the insidious part about it is that the voice will convince you that it's your fault. As I thought about that later on, and I'm realizing, no, that's not what that person meant. Of course, that's not what that person meant. What were, you, what were you thinking? Why are you so stupid, Dan? And it wasn't until I started preparing for the sermon that I'm starting to realize, no, that wasn't me. It's real. It's there. It's trying to rob me of my joy, but it's not me. How do I know it's not me? This is where we come back to Elijah. Because if you spend any amount of time downstairs with the kids, you don't see that voice the symptoms of it with kids like that. You got kids down here drawing pictures all over the place. It's awesome, right? And if they hold up a picture, they will tell you an entire story that goes with that picture. And you look at it, and it looks like a Jackson Pollock painting or something. You have no idea what's going on. It's just lines and colors and stuff mashed together. But if you don't see the story, they look at you like you're from another planet. It makes perfect sense to them. They don't stop and say, well, I guess I, they don't like my picture very much. I, I must not be very good at drawing. No. That's not how kids work, which means we're not born with that voice. It's not inherent to us. We weren't created with it. It comes from someplace else. The accuser is real, and he's coming after you. Why? Well, what did he accuse Job of? He accused Job of being a spiritual fraud, that Job's faith wasn't real, that as soon as stuff went sideways for Job, he'd stop worshiping God. So he's trying to interrupt that covenantal relationship that Job has with God. That's what we're created for, right? To have this covenantal loving relationship with our creator. And the covenantal part of that is really important because it involves choice. It's the difference between falling in love with somebody and choosing to get married to that person, says the single guy. <laughs> but it's true, right? It's true. 
You know, I, if you're dealing with just a pure, raw emotion versus a thought-out choice. And that's the kind of relationship God wants to have. But we're only free to choose God to the degree that we're free to choose something else. And the accuser knows that, and that's what he's trying to get us to do. He's trying to convince us that we're not good enough, that we're not attractive enough, that we're not worthy. And we should go over here and take this other shiny object to try and get our hope and to try and get our joy. But it can never actually fill the hole that we have inside us the way that God can, because that's what we were designed to do. He wants to rob us of that hope and joy. He wants to knock us off that path. Rabbi Allen talks a lot about there being a trajectory towards God that we're supposed to be on. And to the degree that we even are a few degrees off that trajectory, life doesn't go the way it's supposed to go. And that's what the accuser is trying to do, is knock us off of that trajectory. Because to the degree he can knock us off that trajectory, we can help knock other people off of their trajectories, and it becomes this domino effect, right? If you've ever read the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis, that's what's going on there. You have a letter conversation between, pardon me, a couple of demons that are trying to knock people off of their path because that will get other people to get knocked off of their path. But we've been given the ability to resist. And it goes back to that choice. Because the beauty of God's grace and the beauty of Jesus' sacrifice is no matter how far off of that trajectory we've chosen to go or how many times we've chosen to go off that trajectory, we always have the opportunity to choose to turn back. Repent or die. Repent means to turn. That if we're going in the wrong direction, we have the ability to choose to turn back towards God. And that, to me, is the lesson involved here. No matter how many times you've turned away, no matter how far you think you've strayed, God was waiting there with open arms, ready to receive you to turn back and come back to him. And that's a blessing. And that's a blessing. Remember, Job doesn't know who's afflicting him, but we do. And that's the value of the story of the book of Job. We get to understand where a lot of the stuff that's swirling around us in this world is coming from, and we have the ability to choose this. Amen? Amen.